I'd like to read to you from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, among the most memorable, most important verses in the whole Bible. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's a verse that uh, I have quoted many, many times over the years, and I haven't preached on it very much. But let me tell you something that happened to me uh, years ago. Many years ago, I find myself on my knees being scheduled to preach in Bimini, Bimini, Bahamas. It's to a congregation of 19 Bahamians. Now, I had gone to Bimini because I'm, I'm a fisherman. It's my hobby. Uh, I do a thing called bone fishing. Don't have time to explain it. Uh, that morning, I had been at the Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in Fort Lauderdale, and uh, I wanted to come over and go bone fishing, but my old friend, Bonefish Sam Ellis, uh, he had become the pastor of a church. He was still a fishing guide, and he was a, a legendary fishing guide in Bimini. In fact, uh, years ago, I don't know if some of you remember the program, What's My Line? Uh, they had Bonefish Sam there. Well, Bonefish Sam was a, a legend, and he wanted me to preach for him on that Sunday night. Well, here I am uh, on our knees, everybody on their knees praying, all praying simultaneously. I'm wearing a, a T-shirt. I'm in my sneakers. Uh, as I said that morning, I'd preached to 2,000 people. I was wearing Dr. Jim Kennedy's academic brown and a gown, and we were walking down with the choir uh, in this liturgical church. <laughs> what a contrast between that morning and now I'm in Bimini. Now, here's the thing. That morning, the movers and shakers of America were in the service. And now here I am in Bimini, 19 Bahamians whose jobs were working in restaurants, fishing boats, hotels. There's no TV, no tape recording, no live stream service. An amazing thing happened. While praying, and I'm on my knees, two things. One, a great sense of the presence of God. I wasn't expecting this. And then I said, Lord, what should I preach on? And then in that moment, Hebrews 13.8 came to my mind, especially the witness of the Spirit, that this Jesus, who's the same yesterday and today and forever, he looks the same. Well, when it was time for, for me to stand up and preach, an anointing of the Holy Spirit was on me like I never, ever experienced. I later asked, Lord, why didn't you give me this sense of anointing when I was at Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church? when I'm on TV and reaching thousands or millions. And then I also said, why don't you give me this at Westminster Chapel? Because when I'm in the Westminster Chapel, I was still a minister there. I was just on vacation. I said, in the chapel, I speak to the whole world. Well, I thought, why this sense of anointing in Bimini? Well, I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you one thing. This is one of God's ways. Furthermore, Jesus is still the same. He's like that. 
yesterday, today, and forever. You know, people were always amazed at the company Jesus kept, the, the disciples he chose. They criticized him. Uh, this is something about Jesus. He loves to reach people nobody will ever hear about. That's just one of his ways. And uh, I will predict something right now. The heroes of heaven will be people you never heard of. Not the millionaires, no TV stars, not royalty, not the movie stars, not the politicians. Well, now here's the question. And as I stood up to speak, and I had no notes, I didn't thought about preaching on that. Then I asked the question, in what sense is Jesus the same as he was 2,000 years ago? Well, there are three things that came to my mind. The first, he looks the same. What I mean is this, that the way Jesus was 2,000 years before when he came with the disciples to the Mount of Olives and then he's ascended to heaven, the way he looked then, he looks the same. And the way we know that is because on Easter Sunday, you read it in the 20th chapter of John, uh, the disciples were sitting around with each other in fear behind closed doors and they were nervous about what's going on and feeling guilty. Well, Thomas was not there, only 10 disciples. Judas was no longer in the picture. For some reason, Thomas wasn't there. And uh, so what happened was that several days later, Jesus did show up when Thomas was there. Now, they had told Thomas, we saw the Lord. And Thomas didn't want to believe them. Maybe he did. Maybe he knew they wouldn't have been making that up. But maybe he was feeling a little sorry for himself. Different theories as to what was going on in Thomas's mind. But we know he said this, I won't believe him till I see the nail prints in his hands. And then I'll know it's him. You see, here's what happened. When Jesus showed up a few days later and Thomas was there, Jesus singled out Thomas and said, Thomas, come here, come here. Give me your hand. Put your hand right there. And when Thomas saw the nail scars in his hands, he fell on his face and said, my Lord and my God. Well, here's the point. In heaven, Jesus will be the only person to have a blemish on his body. You and I will be transformed, will be changed. There'll be no sickness, no death, no pain. There'll be no blemishes, no sick bodies, no poor people, no homeless people. You see, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he was raised as he was. He was 33 years of age. And do you know, he will always look 33 throughout eternity. And those nail prints will remind us throughout eternity. When we've been there 10,000 years, 
when we've been there 10 million years throughout eternity, the only person to have a blemish on his body will be our Lord Jesus Christ to remind us how we got there in the first place by his death on the cross. And so as I prayed that night in Bimini, and I thought, what do you want me to speak on? And it just came to me. He looks the same. And I have to tell you, his presence was so real that I almost felt like I could reach out and touch him. It was almost as though I could see the nail prints in his hands. I, I didn't see that, but I, it, it was that real. So that's the first thing that I learned on my knees in Bimini. And there are 19 Bahamians there with me. And by the way, I have been back to that church since then. And I've preached there since then. But they all still talk about that night when I was there and talked about the nail prints in his hands. But there's a second thing we know about Hebrews 13, verse 8. He not only looks the same, he listens the same. Let me show you something. I just mentioned on Easter Sunday, Jesus goes to the upper room where the disciples are seated, nervous, and Thomas wasn't there. But the ten saw Jesus, and they said to Thomas, we saw the Lord. Well, as I said a moment ago, I'm sure Thomas knew they didn't make that up. But I have always thought he was just a bit hurt. You know, he, he, how could Jesus do that and not, not show up when he's there? And so that's what he said, unless I see the nail prints in his hands, I won't believe do you know what? When Jesus came back and they're all there, and now Thomas, he went straight to Thomas. How did he know to go to Thomas? He listened. You see, Jesus heard that conversation. When Thomas said, I won't believe until I see the nail prints in his hands, that's why Thomas was singled out by Jesus. He says, put your hand right here. You see, he listens the same. There's an interesting verse in the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Those that feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention and heard them. Do you know what that tells you? That verse of Malachi and what I've just shown you, how our Lord listens everything we say. <laughs> this may make you nervous, make, maybe you're uncomfortable, or maybe you're thrilled. But I can tell you, in what sense is he the same yesterday, today, and forever? First of all, he looks the same. He listens the same. He eavesdrops our conversations when you have no idea that he's listening. Here's another thing. He also listens when we pray. You know, some of the prayers that I get answered 
are prayers that I felt nothing when I asked. Now, there comes a time when you can pray and know that you're being heard. Uh, Jesus made an interesting comment one day. He said, believe that you have received it and you will get it. Uh, that's something that doesn't happen every day, not with me. And, or in 1 John 5, verse 15, John says, if we know that he hears us, we have what we've asked. That's a big if. If, if we know that he hears us. <laughs> Huge if. That means, you know, you have a witness somehow that what you've just asked for, you're going to get. Well, I have to tell you, <laughs> it doesn't happen to me often. You say, well, R.T., if you were more spiritual, you'd hear that all the time. Well, maybe, but would you question the spirituality of the Apostle Paul? I seem to recall that he said in Romans 8, 26, 27, we don't know what to pray for. We don't know what to pray for. Uh, but we pray with groanings that cannot be uttered. We're praying in the Spirit, and the Holy Spirit intercedes according to the will of God. So even the Apostle Paul admits he doesn't always know he's being heard. There's one good thing about praying in the Spirit. This is good. At least you know the Holy Spirit is praying according to the will of God. Uh, if somehow we could eavesdrop uh, on the Holy Spirit's prayers, that would be nice. Uh, I used to live, Louise and I did, in uh, Indiana, Salem, Indiana, out of the country. We were away from everybody. And I don't know if you remember the days, unless you're, if you're not old, you may not know about this. They had party lines, and you pick up the phone, you hear somebody talking. Well, in those days, we had 11 party lines, 11 people on our line. That's what I meant to say. And one morning I picked up the phone and heard people talking, and they were talking about me. And I just gently put the phone down. But my point is, suppose you could pick up a, a phone and you're hearing what the Holy Spirit is praying for you. And you listen, you think, oh, that's what the Holy Spirit is interceding for. And you think, good, good, good. Because the Holy Spirit will pray according to the will of God. And no good thing will he withhold from them that fear him, that love him. And so just know this. God only wants what is best for us. And so the amazing discovery is that he listens because he's the same. And yet, as I was saying, many, many prayers, maybe most prayers, that are answered, when I uttered the prayer, I don't think I felt a thing. And I think, oh, I don't know whether I'm heard or not. And you hope you're heard, but you find out later if you are. Now, some, as I said, will know as soon as they pray. That just doesn't happen to me as often as I wish it did. But here's the thing. Whether you are aware of his listening, whether you sense you're praying in the will of God, uh, you, at least you know one thing. He is listening. And maybe that would control our conduct a little bit more. I'll tell you, my most unfavorite verse in the Bible is Matthew 12, 36, where Jesus said, every idle word we have to give an account of in the day of judgment. That scares the life out of me. 
But the point is, whatever we say, it's being heard. All right, I'm dealing with Hebrews 13, verse 8. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He looks the same. He listens the same. But now there's something more. He loves the same. Well, where does that come in? It's the same account when Jesus goes into the upper room. There are 10 disciples, and they're behind closed doors. That morning, Jesus had been raised from the dead. None of the disciples saw it. Mary Magdalene did. And so Mary Magdalene tells the disciples, I've seen the Lord. And I suppose the disciples wonder, is this really true? Well, they must have known that she wouldn't have made that up. But they're in this room behind closed doors. And they're nervous, for one thing, for fear of the Jews, they're there. And also, they're feeling guilty. They think, if Jesus has been raised from the dead, how are we going to feel when we see him? How can we look in him in the eye? Because do you know what it says in Matthew 26, verse 56? They all, that's the disciples, the disciples of Jesus, they all forsook him and fled. All of them. Peter himself had denied even knowing the Lord. Jesus told him he's going to do that, but he didn't believe it. In fact, Peter said, I will follow you all the way. I'll follow you to death. And Jesus said, will you, Peter? Before the rooster crows, uh, you will deny me three times. And Peter didn't believe it. All right, fast forward. Upper room, the ten disciples. Jesus shows up. And they think, oh, here he is. What are we going to say? What's he going to say to us? Is he going to go for us? How would you feel if your best friend betrayed you? Would you feel like saying, how could you do that to me? I thought you were with me. I thought you were my friend. Thanks a lot. You know what Jesus said? Peace. Peace. You see, he looks the same. He listens the same. He loves the same. And these disciples feeling so guilty, they can't get over it. They thought he would go for them. They thought he would say to them, how could you do this to me? I spoon-feed you for three years. You heard the parables. You heard the sermons. You saw the miracles. And now, thanks a lot, in my darkest hour, where were you? None of that. None of that. He says, peace, and that's not all. Listen to this. As my Father sent me, so send I you. Hmm. Do you realize what he's saying to them? It's as though nothing happened. He had a plan for them. He had a plan for every one of these disciples. What they did did not abort the plans Jesus had for those disciples. It's like 
Job, Job chapter 42, verse 2, my favorite verse in the book of Job. Job says, now I know no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Well, that's what Job learned. And now the disciples are going to learn that when it's put in the Bible, you're loved with an everlasting love. It seemed too good to be true. And so these disciples are thinking, well, we've blown it. We've blown it. There's no hope for us now. We've got no future. We're going to be rejected. The opposite. As my Father has sent me, so I send you. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. In fact, something very interesting. At the end of John chapter 13, when Jesus said to Peter, you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Chapter 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. You see, in the original version, there are no chapters and verses. So if you didn't know about the chapters and verses, put it this way. Jesus says to Peter, before the cock crows three times, you will deny me. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In other words, Jesus is saying to Peter, I know you're going to deny me. It's all right. Don't be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And now we come to that moment. He says, as my father sent me, so send I you. And who do you suppose is preaching the sermon on the day of Pentecost? Some 50 days later, the last person you would expect, or I could say the most undeserving person of all the people to preach the sermon on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, would be this same Peter. That should encourage anybody here right now. You may feel, I've messed up. I've messed up so bad. I thought I had a future, but now I've got no future. Listen, he loves the same. As it's put in the book of Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you. And your messing up, God knew you would do that. That was in the package. It was already part of it. He knew that. He sees the end from the beginning. And he's got a plan for your life. And there's something about the ways of God. You see, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. His ways are the same. He picks people nobody would have thought. He uses people you would think, why use that person? This is just one of God's ways. He loves to choose the person no one else would have dreamed. And could I address maybe only one person watching right now? You feel you are the most unlikely human being on the planet that God could use because you've messed up. You're the kind that God loves to use. He loves to confound self-righteous people who will judge 
You and Jesus and God, how could you use a person like that? This is one of God's ways. He uses people nobody would dream. And so we're talking about this person, Jesus, the same yesterday and today and forever. It won't change. It won't change. He looks the same. He listens the same. He loves the same. But I've got one more point. It comes right out of this text. He leads the same. Now, you say, well, where do you get that? I can tell you. That's the purpose of Hebrews 13, 8 being put right here. You know, I used to ask the question, why is Hebrews 13, 8 put right here? For example, you take these words, Jesus Christ the same, yesterday and today and forever. Amazing verse. It needs to be in the Bible somewhere. Why didn't it appear in Matthew or the book of Acts or Romans, Corinthians? It could have been anywhere because it's a truth. In fact, it's one of those verses that could be taken out of context and it'd be fine. Some verses you don't want to take out of their context. You could this one because Jesus is the same. Yesterday and today and forever. What I've sought to do in these moments is to put it in context. And now I can tell you exactly why this verse is right here. In verse 7, the writer says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word to you, to you the word of God. And in verse 9, he says, Do not be led away by diverse or strange teachings. You see, he leads the same. He has leaders, puts leaders over you, and the writer says, respect those leaders. And then another reason, he's put verse 8 where it is, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse or strange teachings. He leads the same. That means he uses people, he uses preaching, he uses teaching, and he doesn't want us ever to change what has been handed to us. Interesting verse, Jude, verse 3, that little book before the end of the Bible, just before the book of Revelation, look at verse 3 of the book of Jude, earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. You see, the faith, it doesn't change. It's the same. He leads us the same. The teaching is the same. Chosen leaders teach what Jesus taught. They're led by his word. Did you know that the earliest threat to the early church was false teaching, false doctrine, you see, you may say teaching doesn't matter. It means everything. Because the devil wants to get false teaching into pulpits across America and around the world. I must tell you, good, solid, biblical teaching matters. Teaching from the Bible. Well, the earliest threat of some 2,000 years 
was a, a teaching known as Gnosticism. It comes from the Greek word gnosis, G-N-O-S-I-S. It means know uh, or knowledge. Uh, and these Gnostics, do you know what they said? They, they came in through the back door, according to Jude. They had a message for the Christians. You know what they said to the Christians? What you teach is terrific, but we will make Christianity even better. Let me tell you right now, if anybody comes to you and says, I can take what you believe and make it better, wrong. If you believe the Bible, and if anyone tells you that they can improve on the Bible, it is a lie. You see, what the leaders taught was the Word, the Word, Holy Scripture. You need to know that this is the Word of God. The Holy Spirit gave the writers the words to say. And what the leaders taught was the Word. And so the writer says, don't forget them. Consider the outcome of their way of life. And imitate their faith. See, that just lets us know that we who teach the word must not only be sound in our teaching, but there are people watching us. They not only want to know what is it we teach when we're in the public eye. What are we like in private? What are we like with our friends? What are we like at home? You know, the Bible teaches that there will be rewards in heaven. I don't have time to go into the details about it, but I can tell you this. All saved people will be standing before God. Some will get a reward, and uh, this is what we hope for. The Apostle Paul wasn't sure at it for a while that he'd have one, but then but just before he died, he said, I'll get one because there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Back in 50 A.D., he said, uh, I keep my body under subjection, lest having preached to others, I myself will be a castaway. Because those who built their foundation on wood, hay, stubble, that's the way the Bible puts it, their works will be burned up. They'll be saved, but they won't have a reward. Well, some people say, well, I don't care if I get a reward, I just want to make it to heaven. Well, I know what they mean by that, but you won't feel that way then. No, you won't feel that way then. You will want to know that God is pleased with you. And you can hear from the lips of Jesus himself, well done. Well, I would like that. I can tell you this much, I don't know what the reward will be, but it won't be because I've been a preacher. It won't be because I've written one or two books. It won't be because I am known to some people. As a teacher, that's not going to help at all. Do you know what it will be based on? What kind of husband was I? What kind of a father? What am I like when I'm alone? You see, this is what matters. And so we're going to stand before God. And we need to know that we lead other people, not only by what we teach, not only by what we teach, 
but what we are like. And so the writer says, imitate their way of life. I sometimes quote John Wesley, the 18th century Englishman. People laughed at him and the Methodists, but he had an answer for his critics. Our people die well. Well, you know, I want to die well. And here I am speaking to Times Square Church. Hebrews 13, uh, verse 7 and verse 9 talks about esteem your leaders. And Times Square Church has been blessed with wonderful leaders. David Wilkerson, Carter Conlon, Tim Delina. These are people you not only want to listen to their teaching, but what they're like, what they are like. All right, the point I'm saying today, in what sense is Jesus the same? He looks the same. He listens the same. He loves the same. He leads the same. But now, before I close, how does Jesus lead now that he is in heaven? And I can answer by His Spirit. And He wants us to do something that may not be pleasant, but I have to tell you, He wants us to bear His reproach. Hebrews 8, verse 13, He says, Let us go outside the camp bearing His reproach. You see, a sense of shame. Uh, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know that the world hated me first. That's what Jesus said. Can I ask you a question? Does the world hate you? Those outside of Christ, those who don't want the gospel, do you know what it is to be hated? It's, it's not personal. It's just what you believe. Paul said, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. You see, Jesus leads the same. We must be willing to go outside the camp bearing his reproach. Don't expect the world to clap their hands because you become a Christian, because you become a follower of Jesus. There's a price. It will cost you your pride, who knows what all, but I can tell you, the cost is worth it. He's the same. And we have that verse in Hebrews 13, verse 14. We have no lasting city, but we seek a city that is to come. And we're all going to the new Jerusalem. Why did Jesus die? that we might have eternal life. That's why he died, and that's what matters. And I ask you, do you know for sure that if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? The Apostle Paul could say, our citizenship is in heaven. Would you go to heaven if you died today? And if you were to stand before God, you will, and what if he'd asked you this question? He could do. Why should I let you into my heaven? Good question. I ask that people. I ask that to people uh, wherever I go. 
These two questions, do you know for sure if you were to die today, would you go to heaven? Second question, what would you say to God if he were to ask you, why should I let you in to my heaven? And I need to tell you, what you would say to God will determine whether you go to heaven or have to go someplace else. You don't want to go there, but you can know that you go to heaven. Pray this prayer. Just right where you are. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I know I'm a sinner and I'm sorry for my sins. Wash my sins away by your blood. I welcome your Holy Spirit into my heart. As best as I know how, I give you my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And be sure to subscribe so you can receive new messages each week. Visit tsc.nyc for all the latest info on how you can stay connected. Also, don't forget that you can follow us on social media on all major platforms at Times Square Church. Thanks for tuning in today. Have a great week.